I ask no favor for my sex. All I ask of our brethren is that they take their feet off our necks. And that little girl was me. Well, happy Thursday. Welcome to Truth to Power. This is your girl, Dr. Matthews, the accountability specialist. We also have co-host Wendell King II, who is the communication and political specialist. And we have a uh, real good show for y'all tonight. (laughs) This is the Tank Thursday show. Oh my God, it's about to go down. Hey, Wendell. Hey, Dr. Matthews, how are you? <laughs> Chad, I'm excited about this show, honey. I'm excited also because it's uh, it's definitely definitely a conversation that needs to happen, and I'm hoping that we can really take some things back. But before we get started, I want to remind everyone to check us out on Apple. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are Truth to Power, Uncut. The two is the number two. And you can find us here each and every week on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 o'clock p.m. So, yeah, we're going to be talking about something tonight that is extremely important, and that is the breach on the United States Capitol. But the unique twist to what we're talking about tonight is what is the impacts, if any, that it will have on the Black community? So we are we're 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 going to narrow the conversation and we're going to keep it very very specific. So I think it's going to be a great night. So let's start bringing in our guests. The first guest we have is Attorney Marcus Esther of Houston, Texas. Well, of Galveston, Texas, of Lamar, Texas, of Beaumont, <laughs> Texas, of Dallas, Texas, and and he's uh, but he's he's a practicing attorney and he is also an adjunct professor at Thurgood Marshall School of Law. How you doing, Brother Marcus? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you, Dr. Matthews, and thank you, Coach Wendell, for having me on the show. Love to be here, and uh, good, good evening to everyone that's watching the show. We hope that you have a wonderful evening. Um, again, my name is Marcus Esther, attorney, criminal defense, uh, personal injury, what have you, and also an advocate in my community. So I just um, wonderful to be here. I'm ready to get the job done. Let's get it. He's all that nestled, nestled in the heart of Texas Southern University's Ergo yes. School of Law. Next, we have attorney Alicia Hughes, and she is, I, I want to say out of D.C., but I think she's in Virginia. But she is also an active attorney, but she's also a pro- professor at the University of Texas Law School. Actually, we're going to have to make a couple of corrections here. Alicia Hughes, and I am coming to you out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, I'm a member of the City Council, Alexandria, Virginia, home of the first American president, George, former congressional staffer. So this is a subject certainly near and dear to my heart um, and not doing practice, just now the president and CEO of my own education company and uh, Program. So my big preoccupation is with our youth being the future and providing extraordinary opportunities. And yes, I am a lecturer at Delaware Law School and as well at the University of Texas in business law and intellectual property. 
Yes. She and and she's also known as the boss because she will get you together. <laughs> um, I will not confirm whether or not that being true. <laughs> she just recently had to get me together. That's another show. Next we have brother no. Ian Haddock. <laughs> Ian Haddock is the president of Impulse Houston, Impulse Unite Impulse Group Houston. He is also the founder CEO of the Normal Anomaly, and he is also just a living mogul. Under he's one of those moguls under thirty five. I think he's under thirty five. I think he's under thirty, but I'm gonna say thirty five. <laughs> how are you? <laughs> I am good. Thank you all for inviting me. I am under thirty five, although I look under thirty. I am. <laughs> I am. <laughs> I am. You know, Haddock, as Wendell uh, said, I am the president of Impulse Group Houston. Uh, I also serve as the founder and CEO of the Normal Anomaly Initiative, where we seek the liberation at the intersection of Black and queer, of all people. And uh, finally, I am. Uh, I work in the communications department of the National Alliance of State and Territorial AIDS Directors, um, and so I am pretty busy and at the same time excited to have this conversation, especially from the lens in which I see it. Good job. And then we have Brother Dame. Let Brother Dame come on in because he's number one. He's a he's a great voice. He's an advocate. He's a musician. Um, he is a he's a seer and he is an innovator of Atlanta GA. But um, Dame, if you could tell us a little bit about you. You're on mute. Great. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> Thank you for all. Thank you all for having me this evening. Yes, I am a um, entertainer and advocate in the community, um, a native of Detroit, Michigan, currently here in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, uh, making my way, you know, getting my feet wet in a for into the future that I'm currently. So be here in uh, tonight. Okay, well, thank you for coming. And then our last guest is Brother Kendall Brinkley Brown. I, I just feel like I have to say the whole the whole tagline, but he is definitely a, an innovator. He is an advocate and activist. He is the true essence of what activism looks like in 2020, 2021. And he is also a musician. I guess George has given us all our musicians. They're giving us our musicians today. Kendall, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Wendell? I'm great. Kendall is, has definitely been um, on boots on the ground in Atlanta, right beside uh, Sister Stacey Abrams and Latasha Brown's um, movement there. And he played a very, very vital role. He started playing the role quite early, um, which is what impressed me quite a bit, is that I saw him in 2017 and 2018 already actively engaging um, the people in Atlanta. So that's something that, I, that drew me to him immediately. So thank you for your work also, Kendall. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And then we have Crimson. Crimson is an educator. Crimson is also an advocate in his community, but Crimson is an artist. That's one thing that I know about him. And I think that his artistry is what takes him through all of the areas that he works in. So Crimson, why don't you give us a little bit about you? 
Uh, hey there, I mean, you said just about all of it. Uh, <laughs> there's about three things that I'm good at, and that's writing, talking, and and uh, explaining things to folks. And uh, I'm a community advocate. I'm a trans advocate. I'm an educator, and I'm somebody who just really wants to make sure that every uh, day that I work is a a day that I'm pushing uh, our communities, uh, every community that I'm a part of, those intersections into a better future uh, and a better understanding. That's what that's that's what it's all about, right? That's the most important thing. So, like. I tonight this is it's a panel but it is not um so so um orchestrated to the point that it has to be stiff but i am going to ask that you allow either myself or dr matthews to signal you when you are uh, when we do want to hear from you so that we don't all talk over each other and then we're dealing with zooms and stream yards and i am the king of issues with the internet so I don't want <laughs> to miss any beat. And of course, we want to thank our producer, Dr. GL with GL Productions, that keep us as tight and right as he can with my internet. So guys, what we're going to do is I just want us to have a conversation. Let's get started with the first thing. The first, the first speaking point we have is, is the Black community purposely under attack? Do you believe that the Black community in this moment in time, are we being intentionally attacked? I'm going to start with Crimson. Oh, absolutely. Um, I would say that we can't address anything that's happened the past week without addressing racism. Uh, we can't address anything that's happened the past four years without addressing the blatant racism that's just kind of come out of the ground not that it was never there in the first place, but uh, it's been incredibly emboldened, normalized even, and made excuses for every second of the past four years um, because of the different people that have been given different platforms. So absolutely, the Black community is not only purposely being attacked, but it's being sponsored, it's being uh, founded, it's being supported, and it's being prepackaged, packaged again, and completely, uh, completely excused. And at this point, it's entirely... It not only has it been unacceptable from the beginning, but at this point, we should all, we should, we shouldn't be the place that we are right now. Absolutely not. So, Alicia, what are your thoughts on that? Same song, different day. Um, there's no way to humanly disagree with that. That being target it. My preoccupation is not the fact that we're being targeted. My preoccupation right now is how do you win with the hand that you're dealt despite the fact that you're being targeted. This has been going on since the beginning of time. Um, there's never been an inspection on the Capitol since the War of 812 which was in 1814, which was over 200 years ago. But the question comes, why this now? And I saw um, an image that said, we're not upset about Joe, but we're really upset about is that black gal that had Stephen from, from Dango on there. My, my thing is, if you know this, what do you do with this information? This is the case, and it has been the case, 
do you do about it? The question is, how do you then with the hand that you're dealt? You didn't originate the game. You didn't make the rules. You know that the game exists. You know that the racism is institutionalized and systemic. The fact that folks could walk out hands and scot-free were black folks stampeding on the Capitol. It would have been a bloodbath, and we know this. The question becomes, how do you encourage excellence and success in yourself and students and in other people, despite the fact that this is a... So I, I don't want us to get so caught up in the emotions of the time that we become dysfunctional and allow what is happening now to be an excuse to be anything other than exceptional because that's what's always been required of us, although it hasn't been spoken. It is what's required of us today and is what we have to permit our children. So after a while, this just becomes a bit overwhelming and we have to figure out how to succeed in spite of it and let them fight with each other to say this looks bad. That's the plan, okay. that's the plan I'm in right now. Oh, okay, okay. So Kendall, just out of curiosity, if we if we are being signaled or if we are being singled out in this moment as black people, if we are under attack, what are some of the things you think we can do collectively to c combat it, to fight back? Or, or are we just going to should we just continue on and make the best of a bad situation? Uh, well, first and foremost, um, I think that we've kind of started to do that. Especially as it relates to these elections that have just passed, Georgia blue, Georgia blue, Georgia blue. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> that's the first step, of course. Um, and then you always hear me talking about a black agenda, a black agenda, black agenda. Um, I think that it's imperative that now that we've gotten these elected officials and we've, you know, we as Democrats have gained control of the Senate, the House, you know, and the presidency. Um, we've got to do our parts as the voters to hold our elected officials accountable. Um, it's not just enough to get them elected, but we have to do our due diligence now to make sure that they're doing what they said they would do. Um, and then some, um, I can honestly say that black people are, we are who delivered this election. We saved Joe Biden's candidacy, um, across the board. And then when it came back to it, it was the African American population who galvanized and delivered a Senate to the Democratic Party. So at this particular point, we're old. We're old, we're old. It's simple as that. Um, and um, the biggest thing we can do right now is to hold our elected officials accountable. Um, you know, hold them to the fire and make certain that they're doing things that we need them to do. Or, you know, we can, or, or, or we, we can expect the same thing to happen um, after Obama's you know, first two years, President Obama's first two years, where we lost control of everything because we did not deliver for the people. Uh, so uh, that's the easiest way I see for us to combat it, you know, right now. Oh, yeah, and stay home. You know, I honestly feel like this battle right now is not ours. You know, stay in the house, continue to protect yourself from COVID-19. <laughs> Um, and let them do let them do what they do. They're gonna kill each other off before they kill us off. So, you know. And can I throw one thing in here about the women because Kendall just made an exceptional point. It doesn't look like let the insurrection be them and the insurrection. The reason the insurrection exists right now is because of I just invite consideration 
black excellence in this election season. Black excellence in South Carolina put Joe to the front. Black excellence in Georgia turned a state that's been red for over the years blue. Black excellence delivered a hand to our majority, to the Democratic Party, so that our first black woman elected vice president has the tie-breaking vote in the Senate when things comes down, come down to a, a 50-50, right? So black excellence, not, not being so emotional that we've lost our cool, that we've not been resilient, and making sure that we keep clear on the path is what has actually put us in the position right now to see the fear of these folks that are trying to be clear about what you're doing. Us exercising a right has created such angst and animosity and fear that we have people doing things that are completely outrageous. So what's happening is as a result of us staying the course, using every arsenal available, we have put them in a position to fight with each other because we're now redirecting the trajectory of what's going on. So, you know what? And, and, and that leads to this. I want to go into this specific topic where it talks about racism is real and it's systemic. And now what? Right. So my thing is, is what is your opinion on this? Um, Attorney Esther, when it comes to dealing with racism is real and it's systemic. Racism is real and it is systemic. Excuse me. See, in Lamarck, um, a couple of months ago, a young black man was shot and killed uh, by a police officer. And this past Saturday, we were out in the streets marching and protesting. And so the only way we can change that is if we African-Americans can get into this system and change. That is something I've been advocating uh, since I became an attorney. We need African-Americans in the police force as police chiefs, as our county officials, as our city officials, as our state representatives. We need African-Americans in there to change these laws. Because if we, if we look at the numbers, we see that white America is dominating our judicial system, dominating um, our legislator. However, we see African-Americans, they're dominating, unfortunately, the prison system. And so the only way we can change all of this is if we ourselves could get in there um, and actually turn things around ourselves. I, and I, I love the marches. I love all of that. But we need to actually get into positions of power. And I will also suggest that we get involved with different community organizations because everyone isn't cut out to be a leader. Everyone isn't cut out to hold that position. If you can get involved with the Urban League, the NAACP, or several other groups in your area, that right there can help make a difference. And register people to vote. When you vote, that qualifies you for so much. It qualifies you for jury duty, qualifies you to make an impact in your community, and it qualifies you to be able to put somebody in power that can make a difference. Absolutely. So, and and that what you're speaking of, I did see that with the NAACP, with uh, Eugene Howard and those guys. Yeah, I did an excellent job. I saw that over the weekend. Uh, what is what is your opinion on racism being real and systemic? Uh, in yeah, I definitely think that um, we're clear about racism being systemic. I think that um, like attorney Esther was talking about, it's really 
um, taking people being in spaces and places of power. But I also think it's um, about infiltrating the structure to dismantle it. Um, and I think a lot of that looks like uh, garnering wealth. Uh, a lot of that looks like um, building community. Uh, one of the things, so personally, I uh, am getting my first house and I was looking for my first house. And originally I wanted to get like this, this big house so that I could eventually rent it out to people in my community because we have housing issues. Um, and then I started to think about, oh, wow, if I get this $300,000 house here in Houston, or is my community going to be able to afford this? So now I have to start thinking like, if I really want to build up my community, if I really want to fix the issues for myself, it's not only building my wealth, but making that um, that same trajectory uh, available to the people after me and, and making um, that process available to other people. And I think in, you know, we can think about the political structures and I think that is really important, but my lens is really building community, really building a space where we are building each other for better. That way we can combat, because the truth of the matter is, um, White, white supremacy is, is, is racism. White nationalism is racism. But it's not their fear of us. It's their fear of losing power. And so how do we fight against that? For me, um, is to gain power through wealth, through building community, through galvanizing us um, to uh, infiltrate the structure to dismantle it. So for the question that is racism real and and we know that it's systemic, yes, it is real and yes, it is systemic, but it's a greater conversation. It's foundational and it's inst institutionalized. And I think that that is the part that we normally forget. It is a foundational issue because everything that our world, our country exists on is based off of the backs of black people being enslaved beings. Even if you were on the West Coast or the East Coast, you were an indentured servant. So you were always treated as though you were the lowest of that society. And so that is an obvious issue. So when we say, okay, does racism exist? Yes, racism exists. We, is it systemic? Yes, it is systemic. But the most important thing is it's foundational and it's institutionalized, meaning it was it was a part of the creation of the constitution, of policing, of governmental um, exercising. It was a part of those things. So how can we ever expect those systems to work and um, work on behalf of black folk if it was not created with black folk in mind? Then it's institutionalized because we're looking at hundreds of years now of this behavior. And so now that we have hundreds of years of this behavior, people are now in tune, black folk as well as white folk, Hispanic, Latin, X folk, Asian folk, they're all in tune. Have you ever asked yourself, why is it the Constitution only has an amendment that gives black folk the rights to do things civil as far as civil, civil liberties? Have you ever asked yourself, why doesn't it say Latinx and Hispanic, Mexican, um, Cuban, um, Venezuelan Americans? Why doesn't it say European Americans? Why doesn't it say Asian Americans? But yet it says black Americans. So that's a part of, part of their foundation and the institutionalization. That's why we run into Latinx people that think they are somehow better than or above black folk. It's because the, the system has told them that black is the worst. 
And this is a reality. So this is all a part of the foundation of the Constitution. So until we have another convention, Geneva, to actually go in and abolish the Constitution and start all over, military forces, abolish it and start all over. Until these things happen, we're going to continue to see the same racism exist. So out of curiosity, what effects, if any effects, do you think this will leave on the Black community directly? And when I say Black community, I'm not just specifically talking about American descendants of slavery, but any Afro person living in the United States, do you believe that there will be any impacts left on this? The things that have to happen, and as I was listening to the comments and, and paying attention to what we're doing, I also, in a, wearing another hat, am legislative council designee for the National Bar Association, which are oldest and largest organization of black lawyers and judges in the country. And we've got call and there are conversations going on with members, for example, of the Congressional Black Caucus and other groups. And we've got a group convening tomorrow, for example, to talk about these appointments for U.S. attorney appointments in addition to things that you run for at the state level, how do you impact the federal level? And I had the opportunity set in some seats and seeing some things. I worked on the Hill and there are very few black staffers. So that means the folks who are briefing and influencing our elected members of Congress aren't present. When you look at U.S. attorneys who are setting laws and making determinations in terms of policy of who to prosecute and, and what to look for and investigate, we're not present there. So making recommendations for folks coming through the system who are already credentialed and educated to hold these positions, you get in there and you make those changes that way. Until we do that effectively, we're going to continue to get what it is that we're getting. What I can't do is the laws are on the books so that I can punish you when you mistreat me. But I need people in positions of power will actually make sure that those laws are actually carried out in a way that they should be. Um, and we can even look at what's going on right now on Capitol Hill, you know, and we shouldn't have the president in the White House right now. That's sedition, libel, well, sedition and treason for crying out loud. And he's still there. The law is on the books that enables us to get rid of him, but he's still there. I think that what we have to do is put ourselves in positions Put yourself in place so that you can make a difference. You encourage students to become more educated so that they can get these opportunities. And we have to keep going forward. Um, I don't want us, I'll reiterate my point again. You know that this exists. How do you function in a system knowing that it's stacked this way? Our ancestors have been doing this for generations. We have to do it in the present time and at the same time continue to exercise the vote and do the things that we need to do, galvanize and support for each other. Right. Okay, so so Crimson, what is what is your um, your take on this specific question when it talks about like what effects, if any, would this have on a black community when we're talking about uh, racism and systemic racism just in general? Oh man, uh, so first and foremost, there's no way to say that not only has this not affected us in the past, but it's not going to affect us in the future. I was talking to my students who were uh, 15, 16 years old about this exact thing. 
And uh, the fact that a lot of them were just like, either I'm scared about the future or the future is going to be scared of me um, is it was really interesting to get a glimpse into the future talking to them and seeing the world through their eyes. Because in their way, the world has been set up, and, and, and very much so, it's very, very true, the world has been set up for us to fail square one. When they said all men were created equal, they were like this, when they were really understood that this was not meant to, to be there sustainable for us. Uh, and so all of this is not anything that hasn't had an effect on the, the black community before. It's going to continue to have an effect. What I think is important is that the added effect here is that this allows the people, the black folks that said everything's okay, uh, we've moved past a lot of our issues. Now they see that those issues are still there. They were just dormant, if 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 that. Um, so it opens a lot of people's eyes. It is uh, a lot of awareness for our own community because we cannot pretend that everybody in our community has seen the same problem that some of us have seen. Um, this also uh, has an effect on us uh, by way of showing us that, like, uh, Kendall said, there are certain things that are not our fight. Um, we can't, we have a, and like Ian said, we have an absolute right to thrive. We have a right to infiltrate the systems that have been uh, built so that we could fall. Uh, we have a right to be able to uh, exist in spaces that they don't want us to exist in and avoid spaces that they want us in, to exist in so that they can tear us down. I think that what we've seen, um, not only creates awareness for us, not only emboldens us to continue to do what we've been doing, uh, but it also uh, is just, I guess, creating for the rest of the world, outside of our own communities, to see the truth of it as well, so that we're able to thrive and we're able to show people that we, we haven't been uh, playing any kind of cards, we haven't been trying to say that anything's been unfair when it hasn't been. Everything that we've been saying for the past uh, I mean, beyond decades, centuries at this point, it has been proven true very blatantly. And I think that this is a good way to just set it out on the table. And the effect that it has is really showing that uh, we've been right since day one about this. But has anyone ever, and this is where I, I, I guess I'm really stuck here, I think that we're all in agreement that institutionalized and systemic racism exists. I don't think there is a dispute about that anywhere. My big issue is knowing that this is the case, knowing by seeing a glaring example right now in real time of what happens when there's nothing but sheer and dogged determination do you get. I, I think that what we've managed to do in this election cycle is say in a way that we've not said in my lifetime, God damn it. This is what we're gonna do. I can show you better than I can tell you. Hold my beer and watch this. Now if I've told you, I've shown you, hold my beer and watch this. Let me vote your happy ass out of here. What else do I have to show you? That is an example for our children of what you do when a system is oppressive and you have to beat the daylights out of something that is oppressive. My thing to us is I'm tired of folks talking about how oppressive this is. I'm tired of hearing folks talk about the institutionalized 
and systemic racism because as long as I'm talking about it, but I'm not being about it, what's the damn difference? So my thing is, how do you take the energy from a time such as this? Well, I've got folks showing their happy asses. You can't call a black person a monkey when you're scaling the wall of the damn Capitol building. Hiding underneath seats, and they're not scared of the black people outside. They're scared of the white like me people. This is an example for our children. And if I'm showing you an example of what dignity looks like, and I'm winning when I'm showing you what dignity is looking like, that means there must be something to my resilience. There must be something to me acting in a dignified manner. There must be something to be said about me being educated and capable of organizing. And let me just throw all of the shade because I am a Tennessee girl. I've got the former, now former, assistant coach of the University of Tennessee's football team saying, all right, fat girl, go to the buffet and enjoy yourself. Well, damn, that black fat girl has a doctorate degree in law from Yale University. She lost, She won an election that she wasn't seated for. She didn't get bitter. She didn't spend the last five years or four years just talking about it. She said, let me roll up my sleeves and get to work organize, register some people to vote, and I'm going to show you better than I can tell you. Be afraid. Be very afraid. This is what well, you're getting. This whole, that was the whole premise of what she that's did. It. And that's exactly that's what she did. So that's a life lesson that's for our children. That that's is what exactly. I, what are you going to do about this? Oh, yo, I have no problem getting on this and pontificating and talking with folks. But my thing is, what is your witness? Your witness is I'm going to take your system that is designed to oppress me and I'm going to beat the living daylights out of you with your own shit. So here's the weird thing for me. As an Afro-pessimist, I believe that the framework of the United States government and, of course, the insertion of this um, specific move and how it was treated, handled and responded to by the government, by policing, by the military forces, um, by Christians, by by European Americans. I think that it will leave a worse impact than what was already there, which means now we're topping. Now we're topping because the reality is Donald Trump is no more than the mascot for the team that we already knew was playing the racial game. So he's no more than the manifestation of all of those things that we've always known about, but we try to ignore. So the impact for the black community as a whole would be that we are now topping. So therefore we are adding more and more and more blocks to this stack of hate and pain of anger. And at some point it's all gonna come colliding down. And when it collides down, that's when we're going to see an even greater move of mental um, issues, an even greater move of physical violence um, issues, more hate, more hate crimes, more social injustice protests will erupt. And then when those social injustices erupt and those protests happen, the riots are going to be worse than just running in Target. It's going to be targeting federal buildings, federal um, leaders, government, governmental leaders. So the impacts of it is going to be, in my opinion, um, it's going to be a catastrophe 
for the United States government as a whole. Just my opinion. So when we're talking about defunding the police, and the conversation was a little different before, right? Because people were confusing it with abolish the police rather than defunding areas of the police to add money to other areas to better help um, with resources and tools for those black and brown communities. But now when we look at it and we see how those officers were taking selfies with these men and women, were letting these men and women through, not all, but some, right? So should we now revisit the idea of defunding the police with a with a different lens, which is much more clear because this has been the issue, but we just didn't necessarily see it because this is the thing with George Floyd. What made the George Floyd issue different is that we all had a visual of the hate, of the pain, of the anger that we've always been talking about. But there was never an image for us to share with others so they could really get it. The defunding the police could not have been any clearer with this instant because we have a picture. We have a visual of them opening up the barricades, letting them letting them in. We have pictures of, of a state representative being one of those protesters bulldozing through the United States Capitol. Um, Capitol. We have a visual. We have video footage of them tearing up the United States Congress's all congressmen's offices, um, stealing from them, stealing information, merchandise. So now, should we look at that conversation differently? Um, well, I've been very vocal uh, as far as my disdain with the verbiage uh, or the, the the phrase defund the police. Um, and it's primarily because of the fact that a lot of people don't understand what that means. And anytime you have to go into this whole explanation of what defund the police is and put it into perspective for the individuals that are questioning it to me that that poses a marketing problem and i think that's one of the issues that i have with it um because defund the police sounds like take away all funding from the police when we know that that's not necessarily what defunding the police is um now i am for community policing i've always been an advocate for community policing i remember the days when we had resource officers where uh, there were community officers that would just come around to your neighborhoods and they would just interact with the community engage in civic events and other things that were going on with local churches and nonprofits and things within the community they were engaged there was dialogue and there was respect for these particular officers um <clears throat> i believe that we need to go back to a time where you know we begin to focus more so on allowing police to police um, and having other individuals in place to handle issues that are not issues that police are trained nor qualified to handle. They're not mental health therapists. They're not psych psychologists. They're not sociologists. They're not, you know, all of these. They're, they're not the dads and, and the, the, the uncles of the community. Um, that we kind of push them into being. But um, I do believe that we need to um, get to a point where we can get um, not necessarily. I don't even know if we should call it, you know, police necessarily. Maybe if we could come up with something, because if you look at the reasons that the police departments and law enforcement, you know, were, you know, initially, you know, established, you know, it was to keep our ligaments in line, you know, um, and, you know, it's. I'm definitely all for, you know, tearing down something that was, you know, meant and designed to keep me in captivity and to keep me, you know, um, on a leash, so to speak. 
Um, but I don't necessarily think that uh, us completely just stripping away money from them, as some people think, you know, that's what defunding police means when it's not. But, you know, I don't think that we should necessarily pull all funding from them. I do think we need to reallocate some funds and, and, and really focus on uh, trying to engage from a community perspective. Um, you know, each community is different. Each community has different needs. Um, there are different economic issues that, you know, plague different communities. Um, you know, um, it's, you know, it's clear that, you know, most of the African-American communities, especially in these urban metropolitan cities, you know, do right. have, you know, um, right. exponential gaps when it comes to, you know, economic status and, you know, wealth. Um, you know, but if we begin to kind of, you know, just police on a community basis as opposed to, you know, just being so as, as they want to call it law and order, you know, when it comes to uh, to us, like, I think that that would be a positive step forward. And I think that we're in position to to actually make some change. It goes back to what I said earlier. It's time for us to hold our elected officials accountable. There's no excuse now. We are, you know, I know everyone's not Democrat on the panel, but, you know, we're in control now. And it's what it is. <laughs> there, it's, it, it needs to definitely be one of the first things that we handle. Of course, COVID, um, and you know, then right under that. Okay, well then, let me pass it on to Marcus. Let's do that. I got you. I got you. I got you. So, defunded the police, and I love the answer that Kendall said. As you know, the marketing, the, the term itself is is kind of ambiguous because if I when I first heard defund the police, I'm like, oh, man, we stripping all the money away from them? I'm like, no, I need funds in different areas of the police force. For example, um, as, as I stated earlier, I'm a criminal defense attorney. When I see officers go up to some of my clients in the dash cam or the body cam video footage that I receive, I hear them starting off aggressive. It'll be a white officer going up to either a black or Hispanic uh, male and then the first thing they'll say, oh, what you doing out here? You know, what's going on? And that is not how you need to approach a situation. I had a client and he passed away, but I had a client. He was uh, 19 with his other friends on the beach. They were outside just smoking weed. They were smoking weed on the beach. Officer pulled up and then immediately became hostile. And from there, he was arrested, charged with possession of marijuana. There was also a gun found in the car, but they were just outside on the beach just smoking like nothing crazy was going on and i think we need to reallocate funds um within this police force because if that hostile officer uh would not have approached them if it was somebody else who you know just understand kids in general they would know that hey these kids are out here like we don't really have to mess them mess them up or anything like that just write them a citation and let them be on their way but when you go up there and start cussing them out fussing with them you don't know if those kids have any kind of mental issues, which some of them did. You don't know anything else about those kids. So you just have these officers that are trained to uh, instigate and shoot and not de-escalate or not, you know, probe and ask questions about someone's mental status or someone's health status. So I really think we need to take some of these funds, put them in other areas of law enforcement. And hopefully we can have other officers or other individuals assisting uh, these police officers when they go out to make arrests or when they respond to calls. I really think we need someone who is trained in mental health. 
I think we need someone who is trained in child psychology. Um, and I just think we also need a person of color to represent the area uh, that they're responding to, because I see so many um, officers that go into other neighborhoods and they don't look like the person um, or the, excuse me, they don't like the people in that neighborhood. And that's a huge issue. So whenever I hear defund the police, I'm thinking we need to move some funds around so we can get other people, not just officers with a gun strapped to their waist, but we need somebody with the with a book strapped to them or somebody with, you know, that mindset of, hey, I'm going here to help the situation, not go out here to shoot and tackle somebody and throw them in the back of my car. Okay, so most outlets are pushing a narrative of healing and unity, right? So do you believe that should be our overall goal? So I want to throw this question to Dame, and then I also want to throw this question to Miss Alicia. So Miss Alicia, let's start with you first, and then Dame, you, you go ahead and bring us out. Do we need to focus? No. Um, because when you start talking about we need to focus on healing and unity, you can't get to healing and unity until there's a recognition universally that someone is wrong. I can't, I can't heal you. You can't unify with me when you don't want to acknowledge your treatment of me has been wrong. So what we need to deal with or focus on right now would be issues of equity and issues of universal justice. Now, if we want to get to this healing notion, I can't change your heart, but I can change the impacts of how you treat me when your heart is not right. And I'll circle real quick on this, what we're talking about with this defunding the police. When I look at that, there's a, let me give you three, three, three terms here. Zero-based budgeting, which means a reallocation of funds based on holding programs accountable for actually doing things that make a difference. If it cannot be justified because it is not an impactful program, you don't need to fund it. That's not defunding, that's a reallocation of resources based on looking at programmatic structure and whether what you're doing is effective. What we're saying about what's happening in police departments right now is they're not effective. Why are they not effective? You don't have culturally competent people in leadership and you're not training your officers to be culturally competent, so to know how to effectively deal with the communities in which they serve. In education, we call this a castle framework. You need to deal with social and emotional learning, and what goes to the core of issues would be dealing with these types of issues. When you deal with this kind of stuff, then perhaps you can have some universality to us being unified, but you can't do it without dealing with those deals. So first and foremost, evaluate the effectiveness of what you've got and figure out how to get to equity. That's where the focus should be because I can't have reconciliation and healing and you can't even acknowledge that you're wrong. I definitely agree with that. Okay, so let me bring this question to the next person who I spoke to. What is your opinion? Mr. Dane. Yes. So I'm in total agreement with Miss Alicia when it comes to those who don't look like me. So one of the issues that I've been having with all of these narratives of healing and of uniting, 
moving forward is the biggest question for me is always how do we move forward when we haven't even addressed what's behind us? And then the greater issue is, is it behind us or is it present tense? So before I can unite with you, I have to be equal to you. We can't unite if I'm already less than you in your eyesight. Does that make any sense? How can we heal if we haven't even discussed? How can we unite if we're not even on the same page, if we're not on the same level? So before anything, accountability and responsibility has to happen before respectability. I'm not going to respect your notion of healing, your notion of uniting, your notion of making America great again. I can't respect that. Because you haven't been held accountable, therefore nobody is responsible. The reality is, it is not my job to heal Black folk. It is impossible for me as a Black man to heal Black folk because I did not create the issue that Black folk are struggling with. It is the power and the job and the duty and the conviction of white America to heal. How that healing should happen, I can play a part in. I can give them ideas. I can give them examples. I can give them my influence. I can give them my professional experience, but they are the only ones that can actually initiate and engage white people in the conversation of healing because they must first own up to what they did. And you're not owning up to what you did by saying that your great grandparents did it. No, you did it because the reality is had you existed in that time, you would have been under the same mentality of your great grandparents. You would have had the same influence that they had. You would have had the same ignorances that they had. So you cannot perpetuate a different uh, mode or a, a healing or, or try and insert this unity thing before we actually address the equality issue. And that 73 million plus that voted for Donald J. Trump in 2020 is a great example of how we cannot heal or unite yet because 73 million plus Americans felt like what he said and what he stood for was good, was correct, was better than the opposite end. So we cannot discuss it, in my opinion, until that has been addressed. Who do you believe is the ultimate blame? Because clearly we all know that our country has been through the darkest moment at this time, especially from January the 6th, right? So who is the overall blame of this foolishness? Crimson, what's your opinion on this? Whew, man, uh, I got to say, this is not something that could be an individual effort at all. This is something that could only be a coordinated effort. And this is coordinated in, I mean, from the assignment of the president to the uh, assignment of other uh, politicians to the forums on websites, uh, underlying messages and TV shows and news stations. It seems like it's all, it almost seems like, uh, an undercover conspiracy with, you know, messaging and things like that. But the truth is, it's just in the culture at this point. So uh, I can't say that there is an... I would say that what is ultimately to blame 
is the ignorance, the blatant ignorance of this nation and its inability to face its demons. Like, America is one of the only countries, one of the main countries that instead of um, facing its demons, it decides to glorify them. It decides to repaint them. It decides to justify them. It decides to say, oh, we were somehow kind of right about this one. And the fact that we have rewritten history books, glorified the wrong people, and completely changed our completely created a culture that's built on um, denigrating and and putting down uh, black folks, people of color, and, and finding a scapegoat for every issue every time. Uh, the fact that our country is basically just painting on a new slab of paint over the last disaster, and then we take a step back and look at this big, terrible mess of just like it's just this mess at this point um and we have only been trying to focus on this really nice piece of paint that we have framed that we have amplified that we have put out there for everybody to look at and the truth is is that we've been covering up stuff since the beginning of it all and at this point it's just completely come out uh underneath us and i think that i really gotta say i think the biggest thing is the fact that we don't know how to our entire country does not know how to own what's happened it doesn't know how to demonize what's happened it doesn't know how to point out what's going on right now the fact that uh, the fact that trump's presidency didn't end with him inciting violence at his own rallies it didn't end with the fact that we found out that uh the properties that he had with the leasing uh not being leasing to black folks had not been changed the fact that uh, his father got arrested in a Klan rally. The fact that, like, uh, the fact that a lot of the people that he's rubbed shoulders with have been doing deplorable, truly, truly awful things. The fact that things have not stopped when they got to their absolute worst, and it just seems to be getting worse. The fact that we don't know how to face that in any sense of the word, in any sense of the term. There's no type of kind uh, of. There's no type of uh, closure that could ever, ever. Um, heal what's been going on you really do have to tear everything down and rebuild from the ground up you can't do that if you don't even acknowledge what's there you know america's sense of delusion is the ultimate blame for this issue and okay. and yeah that's yeah okay well then in what's your opinion on that yeah i don't think it's a who i think it's a what um fear fear is the ultimate blame I think that um, white people are fearful of losing their power. Um, and I think it's because uh, black people, as we have always, especially black women, are, are actualizing the power in which we have. Uh, and I think that is a scary, scary place for white supremacy and white nationalists. Um, and I think for that reason, um, that's why we, <laughs> should continue to um, to create uh, new power structures, to create uh, new ways of liberation. Um, I'm listening to all of the intellectuals on uh, this platform and I'm really amazed. I'm just thinking of all the things that now I need to take back and work through uh, because really their fear has, has, has made them turn in on each other. Uh, these are white people that are 
willing to kill white people, uh, people that they love. Um, you know, they were, and, and I'm not smiling because I'm happy about it. I'm smiling because it's so interesting on the reason why Trump, you know, picked a person like Pence uh, is because of Pence Pence's uh, uh, conservative Christian values. Uh, and now they're willing to, you know, they were willing to kill him um, because of their fear of losing power. Um, so I think this is just a testament to the, you know, the Stacey Abrams of the world um, and the Kamala Harris's of the world. That we just need to keep on following black women um, and galvanizing together um, because they're scared of us, you know doing what we always have done um, and that we can do better. Well, for, for, you to even put, for you to even put that, that was so well said. And so that goes to my next question, which deals with, should the entire Republican Party be held responsible for the national conclusion? Miss Alicia, the church doors is open, honey. I want to know your opinion as far as when it comes to dealing with should the entire Republican Party be held responsible for this national conclusion? Unmute yourself. Unmute yourself, Miss Alicia. I said you put this on the doorstep of the right person, probably without knowing it. But you've got someone on here who chaired the Republican Party platform for the Republican Party of Virginia um, probably about five years ago. And um, when Ed Gillespie ran for the United States Senate seat in Virginia, I've worked with three Democratic members of Congress and got an election to George Washington's home with the endorsement of the local Republican Party, and it was unsolicited. So just make sure that you're reconciling that with the fact that you just asked me this question, despite what it is that I've been having a conversation with you about on this podcast. And I'm going to tell you, I need to thank Donald Trump for getting elected. We probably need to thank the Republican Party for that actually having taken place. Because let's have a meaningful discussion about what has happened as a result. All bets are off right now. America is as it's always been. It has always been capitalistic. It has always been racist. It has never considered black folks to be human. At the time when the constitution was drafted and it said, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, you know, and in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, yada, yada, rah, rah, and rah. How did we even come to be the United States of America? It was a war. We had a civil war. How did America ever come to exist to begin with? We stole land that was already inhabited by the Indians, killed them off, and took something that did not belong to us. So for some strange reason, we got away from ourselves, thinking we'd made substantial progress. We were no longer racist because we had a black president. That's untrue. Now, what has happened is Trump being in the White House has given people license to express how they really feel. Would we rather not know how people really feel and what they would do if they could or not? I would venture to tell you we would probably prefer to know what the hell we're dealing with. See, here in the Northeast, you don't know when you're dealing with the racist. 
in the South, you know when you're dealing with somebody because they're going to let you know through your face how they feel about you. So at the very least, you know what you're dealing with. Now with Trump being elected, we know what we're dealing with. Is this the fault of the Republican Party? They wanted to win so badly that the infighting with the Republican Party, with the radical right, and with your Tea Partiers, said, we're going to back this guy. They backed a guy who had contributed to more Democratic members of Congress than had contributed to Republicans because he wasn't a Republican. He was an opportunist, right? So now he gets elected. And what this is, is a platform for white nationalism. So what you really owe the Republican Party is a thank you, because but for the fact that he were in the White House four years ago, we wouldn't know what the hell we had going on that we needed to cure in this country. But for the fact that he got elected, we wouldn't see white folks turning on white folks and trying to take each other out because some of them decided to say, we've got to get rid of him. So I don't think that we're going to blame the Republican Party. To the contrary, I'm going to thank the Republican Party and then say they now need to fix the situation, get rid of him, stand up and vote for impeachment and make sure that you convey the message to folks that this is not permissive and don't go do that again. That's what I definitely agree. And I definitely agree with that. So, Kendall, what, what is your opinion as far as what should the Republican Party be held responsible for the Nationals' conclusion? Mm. Well, I mean... Because, you know, I'm a diehard Democrat, too, now. So, you know... <laughs> Based on the Republican Party, I think they're kind of being held responsible right now. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, um, for one, like when we talked about earlier, we talked about systematic racism and being real. Um, <clears throat> if you think about it and put it in context, you know, um, they, they, if you from from their perspective, they had to deal with this nigga name. Uh, Barack Obama, President, you know, President Barack Obama. And then after they, you know, after he served his two terms, you know, they were on the verge of making America great again with Donald Trump. And then, you know, we flipped it on them. And after one term, you know, there was this whole election fraud deal that caused this extreme radical leftist uh, Joe Biden to become president-elect. And to top that off, you got another nigger that we got to deal with now by the name of Kamala Harris, who is now vice president-elect. Then you make matters worse, and you go down to the state of Georgia that's ruby red, and you, now you have the first African-American senator for the state of Georgia that's now, you know, helped to deliver the Senate to the extreme leftists, as well as the Jew. So the Republican Party is paying now because a, a large part of their party you know, there's a huge split because they feel like all of those systematic things that have been placed, even with them them uh, confirming all of these judges to the federal the circuit courts and things, like the system has been broken for them. So that, like the Republican Party is paying in that regard right now. Um, them, as far as impeachment of uh, Donald Trump, everyone knows that I support that. Um, and we'll see what the Senate does in terms of an actual conviction. Um, but I think that, you know, the, the, yeah, the Republican Party, they're paying now. You know, they're going to continue to pay because this is the original slavery is the original sin of America that they've never answered for, that they've never acknowledged, that they've never, you know, actually done something to reconcile. You know, justice requires accountability. 
Exactly. So exactly. they're paying and they're going to continue to reap that which they are sowing. As simple as that. Well, so many people are talking about who's to blame, who's to blame for the hate in America, who's to blame for racism, who's to blame for this, who's to blame for that. Are we really having this conversation? We know who's to blame. White America, whether we want to accept it or not. And no, I'm not saying that all white Americans are, are bask in this type of behavior, but the reality still is history suggests, no, history demands that we acknowledge that white America created this. We did not hold ourselves hostage. We did not rape ourselves. We did not sell ourselves. We were not the ones hanging ourselves from trees. We were not the ones that were crying and fighting for equality while the president of the United States was still calling us Negroes on the microphone at public settings. We were not the ones that still have a four, that created a 14th and 15th Amendment that still says I have to have civil rights to say I can't drink for the same water faucet as a white person. So how is it that we have to ask whose fault is it? Now, whose fault is the manifestation of a Donald Trump? Whose fault that a Donald Trump exists in the, in the realm and the lane that he is, it's Republicans, 100%. And it's all Republicans. And the reason I say it's all Republicans, and let me switch that. It's, no, I'm not going to switch it. It's all Republicans, even Lincoln Project Republicans, right? Because Lincoln Project did not start before Donald Trump became president. It started six months after he became president. So it took them even six months after he walked into office to start saying, wait a minute, this is not correct. This is not good. This is not the way this should be. This is racial tension. This is not what the Republican Party stands for. This is not law and order. This is not producing law and order. So they are all in contempt of this court, as far as I'm concerned, because I say it all the time, an enabler and an accomplice are two different things. An enabler is someone that sits around and watches something go wrong. And instead of them telling the person you're going to hurt yourself, they just allow them because they want to make them satisfied. They want they want them to be pleased. But an accomplice is someone that watches a crime happening, watches an in, watches an ethical violation happening and says absolutely nothing because it will still benefit them in some way. If I am driving the car that went to the bank, robbed the bank, and then got in the car and I drove them back off, I'm getting a cut out of that. I am an accomplice. I am not an enabler because I am benefiting from this. So all of those Republicans that benefited from a Donald Trump deserve to be pinpointed as the issue. So yes, I say all Republicans, all of them, every one of them, I'm sorry, because the reality is they stayed on hush mouth. They stayed quiet. They murmured. As I said earlier, and I'll say it again, the only person that can truly heal is someone that is a part of whatever system is in need of healing. So if you were a part of the Republican Party and you said nothing, you created a path for him to go through and do exactly what he did. I'm grateful that you opened your eyes at some point, but unfortunately, the damage was done. Just my opinion. Well, and you know, and I can just definitely just add to this, too. It is like my thing was y'all knew this man was a damn clown before y'all even put him in there. So, so the thing is, don't, don't sit up here and think that, oh, what, what's going on now? Y'all knew this crap well before this man got up in here. I ain't trying to hear none of that shit. Y'all hear me? Okay, so. They didn't uh, expect y'all to, to go vote is what they didn't expect. And now yeah. that y'all went and did it, they said, well, what do we do? Which oh, yeah. goes back to the original point. 
Oh, she exactly. being excellent. Exactly. So, uh, Attorney Marcus, so what is your opinion as far as what should the entire Republican Party be held responsible for the national conclusion? Right. I, I personally don't think the entire Republican Party, I think it's that, that Trump support group right there. Because when Trump first got into office, yeah, every Republican supported that man. Cool. They were tripping. I, I knew from jump they were tripping. But hey, I'm going to let Republicans do whatever they want to do. And so throughout his term, you start seeing, you know, different things pop up. We saw uh, that crap where that white man ran over uh, all of those people at the protest. We heard the language that Trump started to give, you know, giving out on different speeches. He, you know, he said, hey, look at my little African-American over there. You, just just his every speech he gave. It was something crazy. And so support, you know, started dwindling down from him. But then this uh, last week when we had that insurrection, that that whole little fiasco at the Capitol, I'm sitting in my bed laughing at all of this because I'm like, bro, what's going on? No black people up there. You had that one black man. I'm going to give it to him. He was looking for his stimulus check. It was one black man up there. He was looking for his stimulus like check. For power. Yeah, I, I, I had to put it like that. One black man, he wanted that stimulus check. But everybody else now, they're trying to fight. They're going because Trump is about to lose power. They don't want that. And then who was that? Uh, Giuliani said, "Oh, we uh, we're gonna do this. Uh, what is that? Come by combat? Yeah. So I'm blaming Trump, Pence, all of his little group, everybody he fired. I'm blaming all of them, all of them, because that is what ultimately led to the events um, at the Capitol. Because you don't see Democrats trying to storm the Capitol. You don't see us over there jumping over a uh, fence. You don't see us beating uh, cops down and then escorted by hands out of the Capitol." You know, when we go up there, we're pepper sprayed. We're shot down. We're shot down. I went to McDonald's one day for with a band trip, and I had guns pointed at me because the cops thought I was out there to protest. I just want something to eat, and y'all pointing the gun at me. But y'all don't want to point a gun. Let me see if I can get my finger. Y'all ain't want to point a gun over there in D.C. at those people that are over there jumping the fence. And did you see how many cops they had out there? It was like five of them. Five of the little weak. They got the little five freshmen out there. I'm gonna tell y'all what killed me with this one here, y'all. Like I actually started seeing this stuff on TV. Like it really made me think about White House down. It made me think about the purge anarchy, right? And then it made me think about angels has fallen. Right, so mm -hmm. I'm thinking I'm watching uh, like a rig movie, but really, this is some real life stuff going on. Oh my God, Alicia, you about to say something? Come on, girl, what you got? I'm trying to get my, I'm trying to get my Bible verse together, and I can't get it, so I'm gonna paraphrase, Daddy. It says, "Rejoice, I say, when all manners of evil are around you, rejoice." And when I tell you at this juncture, but for the rain, we could not see the sunshine. Now, somebody go get that verse and, and Google it, because I know what I'm trying to tell y'all. When it goes down like this, but for the fact that I had you, I couldn't see you. And I once was blind, but now I see. They call that what? Amazing grace. So what you intended for evil, God's going to work this here out for good. So I might have had you in that White House. I had to have you showing your ass in that White House. I had to let other folks who think like you think that it was all right. Because guess what? 
when they hold your happy ass off for 10 to 20 years because you got Nancy Pelosi's podium, and see, you were so incredulous and so curious, you decided that you could put your feet up on the desk, screenshot the emails that were government property, hold the papers that were official and classified documents out of the United States Capitol that you have taken the he told you that you could and you believe him. And now y'all all headed off to that there big house and your children are turning you in. You know, so let me say this to you, rejoice. And what are we doing? We are watching this as it's being recorded on film from the privacy of our own homes. Yeah. I don't even have to say I told you so because I got folks who look like you telling you because it's not people of your kind who are not of your color and people of your color who are not of your kind. It's not about the same. Look, it's not about color. It's about kind. And what we need is enough Americans who see that the right kind is not going to settle for this BS and going to do something. I'm looking at them like what my grandma would say. My grandma talking about just look at them. Just look at me. What I tell you Look, 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 but for the fact that he was in the White House, yeah. but for the fact that y'all let this happen, I wouldn't understand what was truly in you. I needed all to come out so that I can know how I need to knock the hell out of you. But see, you, know, you got me, now, Alicia. I'm going to tell you this here. Well, I that means Dr. King said nonviolence is the answer. But no, but wait a minute. When I turned around and I saw this, and I called, I had to call my congressman that I'm very close with, and she's also my sorority sister, Sheila Jackson Lee. When I seen her kneeling, I seen her kneeling. I knew it. I knew it. I seen my son right kneeling on that ground. I say, you do we need to come up there? That's Third Ward, Texas. woman out of Houston, Texas, who can tell you what's wrong and how to fix it. Now, whether y'all gonna go along with this, y'all have to give Sarah something to work with. What did mm. you give her? You got her hiding under seats in the upper part of the chamber. That's what you gave her to work with. You got Capitol having to lead folks away from the door. That's what had happened. Why did you got this clown? We would not have the opportunity to seize this moment. And what have you done? You have inspired children who don't look like us, who are children, are friends of the children who look like us. You have inspired generations coming behind us to go vote. You have gotten massive numbers of ex-offenders on the voter rolls right now. Oh, let's not leave out the strip clubs. That's like that's like leave out the strippers, cause baby, when I tell you, you read all the strippers, all of them. Come now, all of them. Baby, look at they was twerking and signing the card, okay? <laughs> and all your NBA players. So at the end of the day, everyone is understanding the profound power of the vote. And if it's important enough for them to try to suppress it, 
That means you need to go do everything in your power to exercise your right. So now what we need to do as black folks is say thank you to all these folks for giving us fodder and showing us the destruction of our capital, something that has not happened in over 200 years. Now they say, I'll end my comments on this. Individuals perceive outside of themselves that which is found within them. Anything ugly you said about a black person, you have shown it to be true about your white self. When you uh, decide to tell the best, when, when a person you who they are, you decided we're the patriots, and why are they shooting at us when no one is gunning you down and your blood is not splayed out on the concrete in front of the Capitol? What you have demonstrated is everything negative that you've said about a minority group that we should fear, we shouldn't be fearing them. We have to fear you. Hmm. Well, that I tell y'all what happened. Well, Sarah, Alicia, I thank you for that. And I thank everyone that's on this panel. You guys gave us a wealth of knowledge from every aspect. We really appreciate you guys coming on our show. Because at the end of the day, if we're not speaking truth to power, then we're wasting folks' time. And we really appreciate you coming on to our show and to speak on, you know, based on your platform. Well, I've had a wonderful time tonight. Once again, people, make sure that you share, 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 and like. We're on most major podcasts, but just to name a few, we're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, Apple um, Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Um, please make sure that you share, 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 and like. I want to thank all of our wonderful guests, Mr. Ian Haddock, um, of course, Kendall Brinkley, Brown, Dane Ramsey, Alicia Hughes, Attorney Alicia Hughes, I'm sorry, Crimson Jordan, Attorney Marcus Esther, and of course, I want to thank Sister Candace Matthews, Dr. Matthews, for being here every week with me, and of course, Dr. GL and GL Productions for making sure that we are as good as we can be in the midst of a pandemic. Guys, it has been a wonderful conversation, one that we must continue to have, and if nothing else, people, make sure you're having these small conversations because you will be amazed at how far a limited conversation with a friend will travel. Um, it will run the distance. So the whole purpose of tonight was for us to understand that what happened at the U.S. Capitol is not going to just affect white America, but it will affect black America because we have children that are coming behind us and they're looking saying, is this the proper way to do this? And when they try and do it, they're going to be killed. And we're going to start the cycle all over again. All over again. So, so I'm going to go on and end with our quote for tonight. And our quote is, being responsible sometimes means pissing people off. That's General Colin Powell. So I'm going to say that one more time. Being responsible sometimes means pissing people off. General Colin Powell. And, you know, I do that all the time. So, you know, that just proves. Yeah. You know, I, I don't care. I step on your toes. I step on your mama's toes, too. I don't even care. Because if it's wrong, it's wrong. If it's right, it's right. I'm holding you accountable. But we thank you guys. And thank you for coming out on our show. See y'all next week. Make the shade, baby. Be with you. Bye. I ask no favor for my sex. All I ask of our brethren is that they take their feet off our necks.
And that little girl was me.